Hello, Kristen here. Before we get into this episode, I wanted to tell you that the antidote is a thing that's happening. It's a series of monthly gatherings that will help you return to your body and your being over and over again in the face of, you know, 2024, election insanity, climate change, global wars, your own personal stuff, other stuff. It's crazy out there. And it's easy to abandon yourself and freak out. The antidote is for bringing you home to yourself so that you can be safe in your being even when the world outside of you feels objectively unsafe. And because everybody's marketing at you and there's no reason for you to believe me, you can head to jointheantidote.com to grab a free recording of the first session that happened this week so you can feel it instead of thinking about it to see if it's a good match for you. That is jointheantidote.com. Scroll all the way down and you will see a place to pop your email address in and grab the recording. Hello and welcome to this episode of That's What She Said, in which we get all ultra Harry Potter on your ass and go to some interesting places. And I am so excited to share this one, which is called Don't Drink the Unicorn Blood and Put Down That Horcrux. (laughs) So... The guys next to us on the highway are hanging out of the truck and they are wildly gesticulating at the front tire. They look more than a little panicked and the wheel appears to be smoking, so Bear and I pull over. I calmly open water bottle after water bottle, handing them across the front seat while he douses the flaming wheel over and over again. The kids are wrapped up in Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban. I mean, Buckbeak is about to be terminated, which makes the vehicle fire a pretty minor disturbance. The truck has to be towed. Its passengers have to be transported separately to the garage for repairs. and It's all a little bit of a mess. The mechanic who's driving us to the garage is clearly intimidated by the presence of a pink-haired woman, three children, and a dog dressed in her finest Mrs. Claus outfit, so we don't talk much. I take a look around. The car's gas gauge doesn't read full or empty and doesn't include any fractions like quarter, half, or three quarters. It reads distance to E. Oh, holy shit. What if instead of measuring our daily energy based on whether or not we're merely awake, we honestly gauged our distance to E each morning? What if we woke up, stretched our arms wide, and felt it? 372 miles in the tank. 30 miles, 3 miles, a quarter mile, 100 yards, 3 yards. Fuck it, I'm going back to bed. What if we viewed our energy levels not as something we should always have more of, regardless of the weather, how much we've slept, what we've eaten, or what we have scheduled, but as a daily gas tank reading, without judgment or without making one number better than any other? What if we tuned in to the animal parts of our bodies enough to take in these facts? This is how much gas is in the tank. This is objective. It is not good or bad. It simply is. Because the truth is, your distance to E, to empty, in case anyone is in another country and doesn't know what E stands for, your distance to empty changes daily. Around the holidays, which are heavy with obligation, we all end up with fewer miles in the tank. When we go and go and go, ignoring our distance to E readings repeatedly, we end up running on fumes, bitter and awkward and resentful of everyone we meet. We pretend rest is the reward for our hard work instead of what makes the hard work possible. Show me a human who rests when it's necessary, 
sprinting when possible, and I'll show you someone who's 99% more likely to be further along five years from now than someone who is committed to sprinting faster and faster and faster every day with no regard for energy burned. People who have learned to rest are to be revered. And how fucked up is that? People who sleep, who acknowledge their limits, who take the time to say they're tired, write New York Times best-selling books about the revolutionary new way they're doing business. And I'm looking at you, Ariana Huffington, which doesn't make her wrong. It just means it's fucked up that learning to rest is like a revolutionary thing that we have to talk about. Your distance to E is not a measure of your worth as a human. It's like a temperature reading. Everyone has preferred temperatures and more comfortable weather ranges, but we're humans and we only have preferences. There's no universally perfect temperature, just like there's no universally preferred distance to E in our tanks. Some people want to ski and some people want to spend their whole lives in bikinis, and those two souls are never going to agree on an ideal daily temperature. Some people want to sprint like jackrabbits, and some people want to soak up the more subtle moments available on any given day. Fine, so long as we all agree that going as fast as you can for as long as you can with no breaks, rest, or thought for sustainability is not the ideal, we can call everyone right. Getting in touch with your distance to E is a helpful, completely free, and absolutely wonderful tool for your business. It means you wake up, Give yourself a few minutes and ask how much fuel is in the tank. If you slept poorly, had bad dreams, haven't yet recovered from yesterday's shitty circumstances, are consumed with dread for something on your task list, or you just don't want to work, you're going to have less fuel in the tank than on those days when you've eaten like a champion, and you've hydrated well, and you've slept like a rock. Also, in Philly, we've experienced 10 days in a row of just clouds, gloom, doom. It's like it's dark all day long. So on the day when the sun came out, it was like somebody had given me some sort of hyper booster of energy. Don't discount that that's a thing. That on the days when the sun is out after long periods without it, you lose your mind and you have more energy in your tank. That's just the way it is. Again, your distance to E is not a measure of your worth as a human. It's just a measure of how much you can expect to accomplish on any given day. Patterns emerge over time. Scheduling your workday based on these patterns can be amazingly helpful. I schedule my days based on how much energy I can manage on a 3 miles in the tank day. With 30 miles in the tank, I can bang out way more than I've scheduled, but I only bank on having that bare minimum of gas in the tank. For me, that's a scheduled morning, typically from 9 a.m. to noon, and then I have add-on tasks of varying length that are up for completion in the afternoon. Those are typically optional, helpful, good for me and my business, but not mandatory type things. Your zone of genius might be before dawn or after lunch or just before bed or every Tuesday all day long because you work best in big batches. Your preferences for the way you spend your fuel and the scheduled tasks you take on are, again, not a measure of your worth as a human. They're just the way that you use your energy. Also, life circumstances make for varying fuel levels. Mothers of newborns aren't capable of accomplishing as much as the average 24-year-old woman in perfect health simply because having no sleep and spotty meals and no time to yourself as you suckle a child takes way more fuel from the tank than sleeping well and solidly for eight hours at a clip before waking quietly to enjoy some alone time over a smoothie and then get to work. 
that's not a judgment of either a person. It's simply life circumstances writ large across the distance to E. Across, because that's a word, across the distance to E. <laughs> Being honest about the fuel you've got renders us more capable of enjoying our lives. Two-mile days in which you use 1.8 miles worth of fuel are still enjoyable. Two-mile days in which you try to push through 12 miles are a disaster every fucking time. Further, since I've already introduced Harry Potter into the mix, let's talk unicorn blood. We know that Voldemort famously consumed unicorn blood to keep him alive, but in so doing, it doomed him to a half-life rendering him incapable of feeling love or of making meaning ever again. What if we acknowledged all the shoulds in our lives for what they really are, which is unicorn blood? Bear and I got home. Bear, by the way, is my man candy boyfriend, lover, friend, partner, husband thing. And I call him Bear and I refuse to. He's just Bear. So there you go. Now he's in the mix. Bear. Bear and I got home from the burning truck fire thing and the Miles to E fiasco only to turn on the TV and be bombarded with the obligatory after Christmas, now it's the new year ads that remind you of your many flaws. In case you've forgotten, here are some. You should be skinnier slash more toned slash hotter slash generally more fuckable. Just generally. You should be focused on a new year, new you. Details vary, but this means you should buy different foods or cut out a food group or invest in goji berry stock or find an 85th use for chia seeds in your life. You should be more productive slash better at time management slash more capable of accomplishing in seven hours what most people accomplish in seven weeks, all while sporting selfie-friendly makeup. You should focus on better SEO or increased sales or more effective marketing or doubling. No, wait, quintupling your business or your income or your Instagram following. The list never ends, and the ways in which you're coming up short are so much louder at the new year than at any other time in modern civilization. These messages, though, they're made of unicorn blood, endless shoulds designed to keep you measuring the relative perfection of your life circumstances and coming up short. Shoulds steal your energy, render your life meaningless, and lead to endless frustration with your life as it currently stands. Only more money does not equal more worth. More cabbage and lemon water dieting does not equal more health. More marketing does not equal more truth, more meaning, or even more money. More grandiose resolutions do not equal more sustainable actions. Shoulds are the modern, non-magic equivalent of drinking unicorn blood, dooming you to live a half-life from the moment you buy into them. You don't need 384 sex moves to use tonight, and six-pack abs, and a bigger house, and a better car, and an SEO expert, and 84,000 Instagram followers, and a multi-six-figure business to live a better life. Period. No, really, period. No exceptions. You don't need that shit. You can decide you want that shit, absolutely, but let it be because you really, truly, deep down want it and not because an ad finally broke you down and convinced you that your thigh gap is nigh. Further into this whole Harry Potter metaphor, because that's where we are right now, there are the Horcruxes. In Voldemortian terms, in case you're not familiar, these are pieces of the soul that have been infused into objects 
rendering the maker of the horcrux incapable of being fully killed because part of the person still lives in the object. You take a little piece of your soul, you place it in a locket, and boom, someone stabs you, but they haven't killed the locket, so you're technically alive. In our everyday world, horcruxes of peace are pieces of your happiness that you've tied up in stuff. You've given your happiness to an outside circumstance and then given up hope of reclaiming it until the thing appears. For example, you'll be happy when you have clearer skin, smaller thighs, newer wallpaper, fresh curtains, cleaner floors, and more organized shelves. 384 sex moves that blow his mind, 100 more followers, 10,000 more dollars, or 10,000 more subscribers, or copies sold, or you get the idea. Each one of those desires is in some way tied to a horcrux, the promise of happiness elsewhere on the other side of possessing one tweaked life condition. Unfortunately, happiness horcruxes are made of lies. You can go on an infinitely difficult quest to find and conquer each one, drinking from the poisoned shell, gulping down every last bit of vitriol in an attempt to grasp the happiness it promises, and I can guarantee that you'll come up empty. You'll love yourself just as much with new wallpaper as you did with the old. Those 100 new followers will feel identical to the 100 before them. Horcruxes and unicorn blood are external factors. They're only valuable in so much as they help you generate internal results and changes. Insofar as those 384 sex moves that blow his mind deepen intimacy with your partner, they're great. Insofar as the followers help you earn more income, thus rendering you capable of pursuing your life's calling, they're fucking miraculous. But in and of themselves, taken outside the larger context of your life, they're absolutely useless. Just messy entrails stolen from a once magical creature, now dead. Everyday objects infused with way more power than they deserve. What if this year you refuse to drink the unicorn blood of all those things you should be doing or wanting or having? What if you stop giving the happiness horcruxes any power? What if you focus on a pursuit, just one, whatever one, it doesn't even matter, that calls to you body and soul? In practical terms, that means taking a good look at all the shoulds that keep you from doing your amazing, cool, wonderful shit in the world. All the ways you worry about what other people think that keep you from eating wonderful foods or dancing your ass off or quitting a social media platform or making stuff that you absolutely adore or selling that stuff or marketing that stuff or not marketing that stuff and closing your business altogether. Because I can tell you, my face used to be riddled with acne, and at the peak of its horror, when I was sure I couldn't be any more hideous, I met the love of my life. I do not use the word hideous lightly, I'm quoting my past self verbatim when I use it, nor do I use the term love of my life lightly either. And I've gained weight during 2015. My thighs are wibbly and my arms have cellulite in some places, which I didn't even know was possible. So according to the unicorn blood salespeople the world over, I should be like on the verge of suicide. I have wibbly bits. I hate the gym. I've never done a P90X workout. I don't check my Google Analytics guys. I don't optimize my SEO on a regular basis. And who the fuck cares? I haven't focused on working out as much in the past 460 days because deeply focusing on being in relationship, on loving well and often and with all of me, is far more important than the size of my thighs right now. 
Also, meaning and learning to care for three kids on and off is no fucking joke. Sure, I should go to the gym and I should eat more greens and I should give way more attention to my business than I have in the past year. But that's some serious unicorn blood waiting to be consumed. The truth is, I'm happiest doing yoga at home. Not at the gym, which feels like feet and ball sweat made some sort of oddly sickening sock baby. I eat greens when my body asks for them. My business is doing what I want it to do without spending 70 or 80 or 90 or 100 hours a week working on it. I might weigh almost 200 pounds, but goddamn, I'm listening to the whispers. The deep, quiet whispers mean I've given up alcohol and dairy in the last year. Not because I should, but because my body finally managed to communicate the message clearly enough for me to hear it. I've been writing and making more than ever, not because I decided to participate in a revolutionary 30-day program that will change my life forever and ever, but because it feels better to make than to hold back any more of my voice. The deepest, quietest whispers say things about telling the truth, vulnerability, and pursuing the moments and spaces in my life that feel holy. You're perfectly capable of listening to the deepest, quietest whispers within you. Spoiler alert, they are probably going to whisper to you about truth and vulnerability and making holy spaces in your life too. When you stop giving into the shoulds that say you should lose 10 pounds or 15 or 20 or 85, or you should work harder and more or less and less or at all, when you stop telling yourself that you should spend more time with your kids or homeschool them or unschool them or get them into more extracurriculars so they can go to an Ivy League school, when you stop beating yourself up about the shit you don't but inexplicably feel you should care about, when you see the unicorn blood in the vial pulsing with promise and decide not to drink it, when you see the happiness horcruxes you've made and you refuse to give them any more power, when you're brave enough to be with your own desires, to listen to your own whispers, to say the truth out loud with or without a thigh gap, you'll have everything you need without making a single resolution or spending a single dime. Thank you for listening. One more time, The Antidote is a series of monthly gatherings to help you come back to your body, your being, and your breath when it's most likely that you'll self-abandon. The antidote is the antidote to trying to do everything all alone, all by yourself, while you grow more stressed and you're generally freaking out and telling everyone you're fine while quietly or not so quietly scream sobbing in a private place between tasks. Let's not do that. Let's try something different. This is a really simple format, one gathering a month on the first Tuesday of the month until the 2024 election. So we're practicing the skills that we will need in November now. And we're getting really comfortable with body, breath, and being now. And that's available to you at jointheantidote.com. There's a free recording. You can sign up. You can get more details. Enjoy, enjoy, enjoy.